0: This morning is 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. My Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ.
1: Uh, Father, as we... come to the end of this letter written by Peter uh, who is speaking Your words that the Holy Spirit gave him. Father, I pray that this book would be a powerful impact in our lives even as uh, we move on from it. Lord, I pray that you would use this last uh, section of Scripture to solidify our faith, that Peter might get what he wanted through this letter from his people, that you might do the work that he desired. Lord, uh, we ask that uh, you would change us as we come to your Word now in Christ's name name. Amen. How does one wage war with the devil? If you had a friend ask you, what does it look like to wage war against the devil? How confident would you be? In knowing how to respond to that question, how much of your response would be based from the scripture, and how much of your response would be influenced by maybe a Christian movie or Christian literature? how much of what you think of satan comes from the scripture and how much comes from the traditions of man as they talk about these things we if you've been around christianity long at all you've heard about spiritual warfare you've heard about uh fighting against the devil but what does that look like what is god's word actually say who is in fact the devil do we do we have a biblical understanding about spiritual warfare this text gives us important information about the battle about the devil and about how we live our Christian lives. First off, we must not make light of this spiritual battle like so many of the false teachers uh, were in Peter's day. In fact, if you want to turn to Second Peter verse, or chapter two, verse ten. In speaking of these false teachers, it's interesting what he says. Uh, He says, to watch out for those, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So these false teachers speak to angels. In authoritative ways that shows their ignorance, that shows their stupidity. And in verse eleven of Second Peter chapter two it says, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So even angels in heaven don't blaspheme other angels in a sense. Don't declare judgments of authority over these spiritual beings, even though they're much more mighty and powerful than us. And then it says in verse 12, but these like irrational animals, they don't use their brains, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroy, destroyed blaspheme about matters of which they're ignorant. And they will also be destroyed in their destruction. And so much of the spiritual warfare I've heard of in Christianity is as Christians yelling things at the devil. Who's much more powerful than you are? Did Job merely need to yell something at the devil and he would become well again? Did he have power over Satan? Jude picks up this same idea in Jude 8. What was Peter referring to where he says, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgments against them. What did he mean by that? In Jude 8, he says this, in like manner, these people, these false teachers, these people also relying on their dreams, so they have a sense of... a of fantasy-like spiritual power. These people relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. There it is again. And then here's his example. But when Michael the archangel contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce blasphemous judgment but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perish with Korah's rebellion. So whatever spiritual warfare is, it better not be yelling certain formulas and certain words at the devil, for that's what the false teachers do, lacking wisdom and understanding about the matter at hand. And yet, a, a wonderful Christian movie, War Room, that promotes... uh Praying. There's so many good things in it. One of the main scenes is the main character walking around her house, casting the devil away. Stay away from this house. You have no right to be here. It's talking to the devil. It's one thing to pray for protection from God, but since when... Is spiritual warfare lived out in these certain strategies and things we say and do in order to control the spirits? Are you hear the statement, I need to bind Satan from this home or bind Satan from my life. It was interesting in in John MacArthur's commentary on this, he said, how does this binding work? Satan comes to attack your family and then I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ and Satan goes like this. How long is he bound for? The Bible says he walks to and fro, that he's not bound, but we with a certain formula of words, we stop him like this. And now He no longer is powerful and how powerful we are, huh? That we can even command angels and they just listen to us. And those who think they're saved in Matthew 7 and, and they're saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in Your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? And God says, I don't even know who You are. What are You talking about? is that the type of spiritual warfare you've been taught? This is the spiritual warfare I was brought up on. This is how I thought. I thought this is how the battle works. The devil is having a heyday in Christians' lives and in the church because so many of us have made ourselves susceptible to his schemes by living lives controlled by our experiences and our feelings. If you think your spirituality is going to be lived out through your feelings and your experiences, and that's how you really know when the Holy Spirit's talking to you, then the devil will have a heyday with your life. You feed right into it. You're not really in the battle when you're in tune to your emotions and your feelings and your experiences. That doesn't make you extra spiritual. It makes you susceptible. That's not how we fight the devil. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking to us. You want to hear the Holy Spirit speak? Read the Holy Spirit's words written in the Scripture. They're clear as a bell. One person said, well, I want to hear God speak to me. Someone said, well, then read Scripture. No, I want to hear Him speak to me out loud. Then read Scripture out loud and you'll hear God's voice. We're going to see in a moment that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world, is what Jesus calls him. Meaning the world system that he has is dancing to the beat of his drum. And he wants to devour you and he wants to devour me. And so many in the church are led astray because they've let mysticism into their Christianity. If you were to go to a Roman Catholic service, the main thing you're going to see is ceremonies and rituals that have spiritual power and meaning. It's a sort of mysticism that that you go and you experience a spiritual experience through these ceremonies and these actions. Yet that's not Christianity. In the charismatic movement, where the main thing that the church is supposed to do is provide the opportunity for experiencing God, for experiencing a feeling, the thing that's lacking is objective truth. And that's not just kind of the problem because it's the only way to stand against the schemes of the devil. And that's what we see in this text. It shouldn't surprise us. You know, in our culture, our feelings are king. You know, if a boy feels like a girl, then we have to let him believe he's a girl because that's how he feels. Those are his authentic feelings. Or if a boy desires to sleep with a boy... We have to let him do it because we can't go against the truthfulness of our feelings. We have to be authentic to the feelings of the person. Regardless, if God said, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Which means no matter how a boy feels, he can look at his biology and know whether he's a boy or girl based off objective truth from God's Word. Imagine a 14-year-old daughter coming home and, and saying, Mom and Dad, I want birth control pills. That's what I want. I need birth control pills. And, and Mom says, No. Why in the world would you ask for that? Well, when, when I'm with Jimmy... I just feel like, I've got to be honest to my feelings, I just feel like I want to give myself to him. Now what's the parent supposed to do? Oh, okay, well we got to be authentic, we got we got to submit to the truthfulness of your desire. So I'll give you, no, that's insanity. And yet we do this when we try to fight the spiritual battle by our experiences and what's more true to us is our experiences than what we see in God's word. And we shouldn't be surprised because when Jesus talked to his disciples in John eight thirty one, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Every other religion out there in the world is based off some sort of mysticism, some sort of rituals or experiences. Christianity stands alone on objective truth that sets us free. And then... Some Jews who heard that, what did they say? We're Abraham's children. We've never been subject to anything. We're not slaves. What are you talking about? We don't need to be set free. And he says, I know you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place inside of you. You see, what makes someone Christ are those who abide in his words. In John 1837, when he's being questioned, when Christ is being questioned by Pilate, he asks why he came, if he is a king. Here's what Jesus says in, in verse 37 of John 18: For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? He was a mystic. Pilate believed in power. The circumstances, I have the power. That's what's true. But Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. And you know what Jesus says in John 14:6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So as we come to this text, hopefully you're primed to want to lean into and know how to fight the spiritual battle and to live the Christian life. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, be sober-minded and watchful. We talked about this a little bit last week. Sober-minded means to be in control of one's thought processes and and thus not to be in danger of irrational thinking. Uh, It's where self-control comes from. Self-control only ever comes from a sober mind. How often does your mind run after all these cares in the world? Because the verses right before this said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be sober minded, don't carry it yourself. You remember that from last week? And so, in order to fight this spiritual battle, it's going to be a battle of the mind, it's all about your thinking. Stand firm is a charge to your mind. You remember way back in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, where, you, where Peter says, therefore prepare your minds for action. It's a military term. Uh, literally gird up the loins of your minds for action, being sober-minded. There it is. Set your hope fully on the grace that's going to be brought to you. Not 90%, but fully. This is really similar. And then the second term, watchful. This has the idea of being alert or vigilant. Just, just like a, a soldier walking in enemy territory is vigilant. He's, he's thinking all the time. He's ready. He's looking at every circumstance. This is how you're supposed to live your life. You say it sounds exhausting. Well, Paul thought so too. He called it a marathon or a race. He called it a fight. He called it a fight of faith. When we let our minds go lax, and they never go neutral, we never actually... uh lose control of our minds like something else takes over, but we choose to think about the things we think. And so he says, with your mind, be watchful, be vigilant. Here's why. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So no no matter how many times people have tried to bind the devil, the fact is, He prowls around like a roaring lion and he's looking for someone to devour. Who is the devil? That term literally means the accuser. That's what the term means. Diabolos, where we get the word diabolical. He's the accuser. If you would turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I'll show you this real quickly. Can't spend a lot of time here, but I can preach the gospel to you through this text, so we're going to go there. Here's what Zechariah says. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. So this isn't the Joshua we think about in the Old Testament. This is the high priest at the time, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. You got the picture? Joshua, high priest of Israel, standing here. You got the angel of the Lord standing here, and then you have Satan, the devil, the accuser, standing there to accuse the high priest of his sin. And the Lord said to Satan... The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So is Israel good? Were they good people? No, they were sinners, just like a brand plucked from the fire, chosen by God to bless. Are they not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken away your iniquity, or I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So the gospel's there. You see it, right? We're all sinners. None of us are good. We've all offended the holy God. And if the devil stands there when we stand before God on judgment day and says, look at his sin, what are you going to say? You're in trouble and I'm in trouble. But what did God do? God sent Jesus. He lived a perfect life in your place. That life that he lived was a righteous life. It's righteousness. It's like Jesus' righteousness is like a pure white robe. And when, if you will have Christ, if you'll trust in him by faith that he died on the cross for your sins, what happens is, is your filthy garments taken off And Jesus' perfect righteousness is wrapped around you. And God says, that's a brand plucked from the fire. That's one of my elect. That's one of my chosen ones. And I say all that just to show you that the devil, his very name is the accuser. And if you turn to Revelation chapter 12, I just want to read a little bit from here where we get an idea about how the devil attacks and seeks to devour. Revelation chapter 12 is this amazing chapter where John in these visions is taken from the beginning of time to the end of time several times and we get to see the scope of the spiritual battle going on. Here's what we see in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with sun and moon under her feet and her head, uh, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. I think this is representing Israel or Jeru, or, or the Jews. Uh, Joseph had the sun and stars bowing down to him and the twelve, uh, On her head were 12 stars. I think the 12 tribes of Israel are seen there. So this, this is the Jewish woman ready to give birth to the Messiah. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains, uh, in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. Thirteen times in Revelation, the, the dragon refers to Satan. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of the heaven and cast them to the earth. And this is where you get the idea that the third of the angels fell. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. How? Through a human agent. Who? Herod. Right? The Messiah is going to be born. Kill all the firstborn. When the Messiah is there, the devil is warring against God. He's already been cast out of heaven. He's already warred against Adam and Eve in the garden. There's been a promise that from the seed of the woman, the serpent's head is going to be pr- crushed. Through Abraham this promise is going to come and now this woman from Abraham's line who is married to a husband from Abraham's line and goes back to the Davidic line is about to give birth. And right there, Satan is ready to devour that child. Same word used that Peter uses in how Satan tries to devour us. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So now we're already to the ascension. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she will be nourished for 1260 days, uh, three and a half years. Uh, At at the end of time in the seven-year tribulation, uh, the Jews are going to be protected uh, by God supernaturally. And then in Revelation 12, verse 10, it says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now salvation and power in the kingdom of our God. And authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love their lives not unto death. So these people have conquered the devil proof being they're willing to die for for faith in Christ the accuser comes and says, look at them, they're sinners. And they say, yeah, look at Christ who died for my sins. And so we see Satan as the accuser here. And then in verse 17, it says the dragon, and this is at the very end, I think in the very end of the tribulation, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, he stood on the sand of the sea. So the devil is at war with God, with Adam and Eve, with Abraham, with the angels in heaven, with Michael and his angels, with the Jewish people. You look at the Jewish people. This world, which is the wor- Satan's, system that's playing out right now has been trying to wipe the Jews off the face of the map ever since their existence. And those who cling to the testimony of Christ are opponents to Satan. And he wants to devour you. It's not something we take light Jesus, right before He died and ascended into heaven in the high priestly prayer, what does He say in verse fourteen, John, John 17, verse 14? I've given them Your Word. I've given them Your Word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that You take them out of the world, but that You keep them from the evil one. How's God going to do that? He just said, I gave them the, your word. Well, what does he say next? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Jesus was concerned about the devil trying to devour you and I but He did something about it. He gave us the truth. He gave us His Word. He gave us the battle plan. We don't have time to do a whole thing on Satan, but Satan seeks to control your life through the world system, which he schemes up, to draw in your flesh. That's, that's the world's system. His desire is to have a hook into your life through your feelings and your emotions and your flesh, your desires. He tries to get in between your personal, intimate relationships. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he says, do not deprive one another... This, this isn't a husband and wife in sexual relations, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So the devil will try to get you with the system. He'll try to get you in your personal relationships, in your flesh, And he'll try to get you by giving you false doctrine and false teachers. So what do we do? Resist him. Here's the key. Firm in your faith. And and here's the thing I want to drive home. The way you fight the devil is standing firm in your faith. You don't go chase the devil around. You just stand firm where you are. See, that's a lot different than maybe what you've been taught. You're to stand firm in the faith. What what does that mean? It's really similar to what James says in James 4, verse 6. Listen to this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter just said that, right? Submit yourselves therefore to God, all right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is what Peter said, right? James says, resist the devil. What did Peter just say? Resist the devil. James says, and he'll flee from you. You want to know how to get rid of the devil? You stand firm in your faith. You resist him. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. What is Peter going to say in our text? At the proper time, He will exalt you. You'll suffer for a little while, but then you'll be exalted. So you have two texts that are parallels that are side by side that describe spiritual warfare as resisting Him by standing firm in the faith. And then I think in my mind, yeah, but what about Ephesians 6 where you're supposed to put on the armor of God and supposed to fight the devil? That's where we go and we chase him around. Really? I went and looked at it. Here's what it says. Finally, brothers, this is Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. That's what it says. Stand against what? The schemes of the devil. So we're to, we're to stand against the schemes, the system that he's put in place. How are you going to do that? You have to know what God says. Because the devil is a liar. That, that He's speaking his native language. And if the devil's going to get you, he's going to get you because you're not standing on the truth of the Word of God. You see that? That's why it has to be. The spiritual battle has to be with the truth. The devil's plan is in his lies. And then he says, "'For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, "'but against rulers and against authorities "'and get against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, "'against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places.'" And so you might say, see, that's where we do it. We wrestle with these angels and we wrestle with them and we, yeah, but what's it look like? Here's what he says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's the second time Ephesians 6 has said this. And having done all, to stand firm. So you mean this battle is he's going to attack me and I'm just supposed to stand on what I already know, what's already been revealed in the Bible by faith? Yes! Yes! The Christian life is not about the new scheme, the new teacher, the new book, the new formula. It's about standing and believing the truthfulness of the Word of God, but it's not going to be easy, and it is a battle. Paul said, I need, I die daily, which means he has to fight the fight of faith every day to stand to believe the truth. And so he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. And then in verse 14, stand therefore. That's what spiritual warfare looks like. Well, what's it look like to stand having fastened on the belt of truth? Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances taking up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, we get to knock the darts down, we don't get to shoot them back. Our Savior does that. We stand firm. He's given us what we need. He's given us the truth. He was faithful to do that. He's delivered it to us. The Holy Spirit reminded the apostles the letters they must write. The Holy Spirit preserved the Word of God. And then it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's your offensive weapon, the Word of God, right there. That's the sword in your hand, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You want to stand against the schemes of the devil? If you feel attacked by the devil, what do you do? you say, what have I been thinking? How has my mind been going on a drunken, stumbling all around to all sorts of different things rather than thinking about the Word of God? Praying at all times. What's what's that show? If we pray at all times, we we don't believe the powers in us. You see, we're humbled under His mighty hand. He's the one. He's the one that our hope is in. And then verse 10 says, after you've suffered a little while, I I skipped a part here. He says, resist him, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here's one of Satan's best lies to a suffering church or to a suffering person. Your suffering is unique. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you according to these circumstances. No, stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering. Now you might get all mad and say, nobody's walked in my shoes. You don't know my suffering. No one else has suffered. the Bible says they have. He draws attention to the sameness of the suffering, not the differentness of it. You see, the devil will get you when you say, my suffering's unique. No one knows what I'm going through. No one, you know, he must not love me. Well, now the devil's got a foothold. But if we realize that we will suffer for a little while, it's not odd. And by the way, all your brothers and sisters are in the same battle and suffering. And so then he says, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see how personal that is? Your suffering will go on for a little while. Stand firm in it by faith. And it says the God of all grace, he's capable, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. We must vigilantly think the spiritual battle is in with your mind. We resist him by trusting by faith, according to his words. I can hear some of the pushback saying, yeah, but our whole Christian life isn't all about thinking. Emotions are real. Feelings are real. Well, that is true. They are real. But here's the problem. They can never lead you, ever. And if they do lead you, the devil will have you wrapped around his finger. So we must trust by faith. Does knowing true things make you a spiritually powerful person? Not if you know it and you don't attach to it by faith. You don't cling to it as your only hope. But when you cling to it, Christ by faith and the word of God by faith, your emotions start to come in line. They, they, they trail behind like a caboose. But all that anxiety, all that fearfulness, all that worry, if you'll fight the devil by faith, according to his truth, those will start to come in line. And then he ends with worship. What a fitting way for Peter. He just can't help himself as he thinks of the grace of God that's been given us in Christ. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. He sees Christ as king. And then he closes on a personal note. He says, By Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written to you briefly. So he had a secretary writing the words he said. Faithful brother risking his neck because if you're hanging out with Peter, your neck is on the line. That's why he calls him a faithful brother. So we can learn be faithful by the example of Sylvanus, Exhorting and declaring that is the true grace of God. If you want to know the truth, listen to this letter. It's the true grace of God. And then what does he say? Just in case we missed it, stand firm in it. And then she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. This is most likely speaking of the church in Rome. For reason, uh, churches were often given, you can see in Second uh, John, uh, a name is given a female title. And it might be for the sake of persecution and and things like that That is, in, in a sense he's saying it code ways. She who is in Babylon who is likewise chosen. That word likewise is another reminder of where he started 1 Peter and that's the word chosen. Our faith didn't start with us. God chose us. He elected us. If you're here today trusting in Christ it's because he's plucked you out of the fire. Like as one who had the wrath of God abiding abiding on you, it was fire you were going to get. And then it also tells us that there's other churches going through the same thing and they're sending greetings and they're thinking of you and so does Mark, my son, which reminds me that we're a part of a family of God because Mark was not Paul's son, literally, in the flesh but spiritually greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Father, how practical is your word? How often we become confused in our spiritual lives because we begin to not be vigilant in our thinking, to not be careful in our doctrine. And the next thing we know, we're trying to stand against the devil in ways that just shows we're like irrational animals. But Lord, let us be thankful that our faith is based on objective truth that's been delivered by your own Son to us, that we can stake our whole life on it, and that you show yourself powerful in our lives when we cling to it by faith. Father, I pray that we would all stand firm in the grace of Christ, the only hope any sinner has. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.